Welcome to Two Psychologists for Beers. I'm Yoel Enbar. With me here is my friend and co-host, Alexa Tullet. And when I say with me here, I actually mean it because we are staring at each other somewhat awkwardly separated by a mere few feet of air and it feels weird. Yep. So we are, we are you're sitting in a chair and I'm sitting in a couch and we look like we're just having a casual conversation with each other, but we're also holding microphones and wearing giant headphones. So it's like a pretty awkward setup. We look either super cool or like huge dorks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, Alexa, how did we end up in the same location? Yeah. So um, currently we are in the upstairs room of my parents' house uh, in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. So I'm here uh, because I'm visiting my parents for the first time since the start of the pandemic. Um, so that's really nice. Um, so we decided to take this opportunity to record a podcast in person. Um, and so actually, uh, this is also the first time that uh, Yoel, you've met my my parents. Um, and so, uh, right before I came to pick you up at the train station, um, my mom was in the process of making muffins, as you know, because you've had a muffin now. Um, and she was wearing an apron and she was like, oh no, Yoel is coming. I need to take off this apron because otherwise he'll think that I'm like an old fuddy duddy or something. Um, which, uh, uh, was charming. Um, and also maybe related to our topic for today. <laughs> Yes, uh, our topic today is getting old, uh, gracefully or not. But I, I just want to say that I thought your mom seemed very hip, um, and that it totally would have been cool if she was wearing an apron. And also, it's it's sort of it's weird that she's like thinks that I would just show up and start judging people. You know, <laughs> like your parents are lame. Well, she asked me what you were like beforehand, and I was like, he's extremely judgmental. And then oh she was like, yeah, no, well that's fair. That's that's accurate. So yeah. Um, before we get uh, into our topic today, uh, let's take a quick break to talk about what we're drinking. Um, so this is, we both have a juice box IPA that I picked up from uh, a brewery in Toronto called Bandit Brewery. They're over on Dundas Street West. Uh, they have a very nice patio there as well, uh, which you should check out if you're ever in town. Um, and we have opened and drunk some of these already. And I think we generally agreed that they, uh, well, it tastes like an IPA and it may also taste fruity slash floral, but that also maybe we're being primed by the label. Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. I will say that I love the label. So the label is like a, yeah, like a overly digital, what did you say? 8-bit? That's like yeah, a, the old bit. video games Yeah, or the old video game look, right? Um, the blocky kind of. Yeah, of a raccoon, which is like definitely a creature that I associate very strongly with Toronto. Yeah, it's like the unofficial Toronto mascot. Uh, yeah, so it's like this pink raccoon. So maybe that has some like juice connotations to it. Well, also it says juice box. I don't know. <laughs> so there's a oh, lot that, that might be it. Now we <laughs> yeah, figured I think it that's out. probably it. That's probably how we got there. Um, but yes, we've, we've opened our beers already. I'm sorry, listeners, you don't get the beer opening sound and experience, but they are, I would say, quite tasty. We wanted to talk, to talk today about getting older. And this was a topic that Alexa suggested, but that I, for personal reasons, was really excited to do. So like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm now 43. Alexa, you're how old? 35. Right. Uh, and as somebody who's like now past 40, like I do think about getting older. Um, and one thing I think about a lot is the areas in which I feel like I've gotten better or worse. And when we talked about this before, you know, we started recording, we were talking about these three domains that you might 
divide up your life into and think about whether things have gotten better or worse over time. The first is interpersonal. So your relationships with other people. Uh, the second is intrapersonal. Like, do you feel like calmer? Do you feel less anxious? Uh, do you feel happier as you get older? Um, and, and the third is professional. So like, have you gotten better or worse at, at work? Um, and, you know, for all of those, I, I think the kind of culturally conventional answer is supposed to be that they improve as you age, right? Um, but you could also easily see cases in which that's not true, right? Like, so uh, maybe you get old and weird or fall out of touch with your friends and you have fewer close relationships. Um, maybe as you get old and weird and lonely, that takes a toll on you psychologically. And, you know, you're you're less happy day to day. And maybe uh, professionally, as you get older, you sort of get out of touch. Um, you don't have the skills uh, that people now have. And and uh, that that makes you worse at your job. So if for for these all of these things, I guess we wanted to talk about whether we feel like we've improved or or not. Um, and I'll I'll go first. Um, I think it's most interesting to start with interpersonal because for me that's like the thing where I feel like I've I have improved uh, the most. So I feel like that's something where like through kind of personal experience and feeling a lot and. Um, I don't know, like, I guess unsuccessful relationships, whether those are romantic or, or, well, mostly romantic for me, um, you get better. Like you learn from failure, hopefully. Um, and you're like, okay, what went wrong in that last one? How can it be improved? Um, like, you know, I got divorced for example, and I like spent a lot of time thinking about like what went wrong, like how could that have gone better? Um, and I feel like there, like, actually I can point to things where I'm like, better now than I used to be. Like I'm easier to live with. I'm like less of a dick in some ways. Um, and that's something that I kind of feel good about, I guess, like as, as we'll get to, there are other things that I feel like less happy about getting older, but like, that's one thing where I'm like, I want to give myself at least an A minus an improvement. Um, not to say that I'm at the A minus level now, I think that would be too optimistic, but like, I do think like the trajectory is in the right direction. So Alexa, like, how do you feel about like your interpersonal improvement? Or I guess we should say like, leave it open. Maybe interpersonally, you've gotten a lot worse. Uh, interpersonal change, I guess. <laughs> interpersonal change. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I also like do have the intuition that I've gotten better um, at interpersonal relationships. Um, and so like recently I uh, purchased a copy of Psychology Today um, at a grocery store. So I was- I'm a subscriber, so I don't need to buy it. I, think I get it delivered. <laughs> I should have just asked for your copy. Oh, yeah. but you probably wouldn't part with it. No, I, I archive them. Yeah, they're uh, they're part of my collection. They're in mint condition. I actually don't open them. I just keep them in the packaging. They're going to be collector's items. I'm sorry. This is not relevant to your anecdote. Go on. Um, so I, I got one thinking that there would be a quiz in it. Um, and the the cover of the magazine advertised that there was going to be an article on whether or not you're too low maintenance. And so I was about to go on this camping trip and I was like, oh, it'd be fun to all do a quiz on whether we're too low maintenance. And I kind of had the like, so this is like, was particularly interesting to me because um, I think that there is such a quality as being too low maintenance. So I see these like people who are too low maintenance as people who like don't make any decisions and make everyone else sort of like take the initiative to like figure out what they're going to do and also like sort of don't voice their like needs or like our conflict avoidance um, and then like let problems fester. And I think that's like a pretty problematic quality in a relationship. Um, and so uh, I sort of like have, have, have wondered in the past if this might describe me and have uh, worked to become more high maintenance. Um, 
And so I, I think that's one area in which I've changed. But like, I mean, it's hard because like, so as you say, you know, you like go through a relationship, whether it's like a romantic relationship or not. And then sometimes these relationships end and then you have these like sort of like you think about what went wrong and like how you could improve them. And sometimes it feels like you develop these sort of like general skills that will help you in other relationships. And sometimes it just feels like so specific to that one instance that it's like unclear whether it's helpful in any other case. You know, you're like you solve this like it's like whack-a-mole or something. You know, you're like you get the one mole and then another one pops up or something. Yeah, that's a great question. Like how much that uh, learning is actually generalizable. Maybe you're just like figuring out how to optimize for the specific case and it really like doesn't help you in the future at all that would be that would be the depressing take um but but it, it just uh it, just to go back to this low maintenance thing um just yesterday we were supposed to record a podcast and i got you to watch the canadian women's beach volleyball olympic team instead and you seem very happy to do that but are you saying that maybe you were just agreeing to be agreeable and you actually secretly resented that change of plans no, because I've gotten better at this. So, oh, right. Yes, you've improved. So the new me, if I had not wanted to watch beach volleyball, would have said, no, Yoel, we had a plan. Um, and we were supposed to record a podcast. And I'm not just going to do whatever you want all the time. You know? I love it. I've never heard you say anything like even close to that. <laughs> so I guess we're, we're saying like interpersonally, things are on a positive trajectory. You feel like you've improved. You've successfully become more high maintenance. I've become a little less unbearable to be around. Yeah, I think th I think that um, it seems like both of us have identified like specific ways in which maybe we've gotten we've improved over time interpersonally. Um, but then I'm not sure that like the like overall state of my interpersonal relationships has necessarily improved over time. Um, like so, for instance, I find it like a bit harder to make close friendships now as like a grown up. Um, like, not that it's impossible. And yeah, like, so, yeah, I mean, it still happens. And I'm not sure how much of this is like a COVID feeling. Um, but I, I felt maybe it's just like more opportunities when you're younger. But I felt like it was sort of more frequent that I would feel the sense of like really close connection and um, and sort of feel like I bonded really quickly with someone. And that seems to be a little bit like rarer for me now. Um, as I get older and I'm not sure if it's like a change in myself or a change in the people I'm around or like a life stage change where you just sort of, maybe it's like, because I get drunk with people less often or something yeah, trivial like that. Right. You go out less, you're drinking less, you meet fewer. I mean, it's like, it's sort of cliche, but I think it's cliche because it's true that it's just harder to make friends when you're older. Like people have more of their own things that they're doing. They're sort of on a track. They're doing a thing and it just leaves less room for meeting new people and hanging out with them and discovering what they're all about, I feel. Do you feel that about yourself or are you like still still making new friends left and right? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't say left and right at all. And it, it's like most of my friends are through work in one way or another. So it becomes a very, uh, like a, like a bubble, right? Like I don't, I barely know any non-academics except for people that I like know from college. Um, so I guess that's one way in which, you know, our job 
kind of cushions you against that a bit because you go to conferences and you might meet new people or you can keep in touch with old friends that way. You show up in a new job. Often there's going to be people there to hang out with. So there's ways to make friends that way. But other than that, I don't really meet people. Like it's not like um, I go in, I don't know, go to adult, what what do you even do? Activity groups, meetups, something like that to meet people? Yeah, unclear. I mean, maybe you like start a running join a running club or like do people play cards in groups i really don't know <laughs> i don't i couldn't tell you i mean i think parents meet other parents yeah i think that's one way that people meet meet new yeah. people yeah so like work and parenting so i met like around 50 percent there um so yeah i would I, I i would say that's definitely a decline compared to where i was in my 20s hmm okay so interpersonally maybe maybe we've gotten better but the world has gotten worse i think that's right yeah exactly the problems with the world not with us yeah exactly what about uh professionally so i don't know if you've had the experience ever of like going back and reading one of your early papers um i that happens to me sometimes and i'm often like wow this is like not that well written like i definitely would write that differently now or I don't like the way I reported these analyses. I would do that differently now. So there I feel like there has been improvement. Um, against that, though, I feel like my memory is getting worse and it was never good. And that's bad professionally because I'm often like, oh, man, there was this finding that like something, something. And I I, I feel like it's harder for me to remember that stuff now. Um, so... That's, uh, I think, a way in which things have declined a little bit. Net, I would say it's probably still an improvement, but I'm less confident across the board that it's an improvement versus interpersonal. Yeah, I mean, it it feels like maybe if you can like divide it into skills versus like, I don't know, like something like working memory or like, I mean... Uh, I feel like there are things that there's like the long-term memory stuff that I think probably does get better um, and skills that you develop. Like I do think that I've become a better writer um, and I have looked back at papers and, and thought like, I mean, multiple things like uh, this is like more poorly written and also like um, less rigorous and things like that. I think that, I mean, I think that as a field, we've gotten more rigorous and hopefully that's true of me specifically as well. One thing that's like interesting as a scientist too, is like, I mean, I think one thing that can potentially happen as you get older, and maybe this is a general trend or not, we can talk about this at some point is like whether or not you sort of get more like closed minded or sort of set in your ways. And I think that can be particularly problematic if it's happening. Um, as a scientist, right? So that seems like uh, a quality that's sort of like essential to being a good scientist is sort of like being like open to uh, new ideas and willing to discard ideas and um, not being coming too like set in your ways and too entrenched in your beliefs. Um, and so that might be one way that people generally, and and I feel like I try to resist this, but this probably describes me too, like be sort of um, get used to like a certain way of doing things and perhaps um, become sort of like close-minded to change or, um, yes, yeah, sort of like set in, set in my beliefs about things. Yeah. That's interesting. Like 
I'm not quite sure how you know whether that's happening to you. Like, presumably people don't self-identify as closed-minded, right? They they just think, like, I don't know, everybody else is wrong. So, like, how do you detect that and how do you prevent it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good question. And maybe, like, one sign of becoming closed-minded is... Uh, sort of like a skepticism of young people or a rejection of young people. Um, I I always feel like, at least in myself, I feel like that's like a bad sign. Like if there's like something that the youth are doing and I'm like, well, that sounds stupid. Like, well, <laughs> why like don't TikTok they do it my or, way? What do you <laughs> like, I guess you could be like this uh, stuff around um, open science, transparency, reproducibility, which is like more of a young person thing, I think. Like... I guess that's the stereotype, right? Like the older successful scientist who's like, oh, this is all a fad. This is going to blow over. Yeah, right. Um, like sort of wanting to stick with the status quo and like not being open to sort of things changing, systems changing and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I think that I think that if like you're, you have this feeling of sort of like, oh, the young people don't like appreciate how we do things or something like that, then that's like a bad sign. Yeah. Yeah, they don't appreciate our years of experience exactly. and accumulated wisdom. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I think the general like finding in the, the literature on cognitive declines with aging is that it's really fluid intelligence that declines the most dramatically, right? And crystallized intelligence. So um, stuff that you've learned and remember declines less slowly or maybe just like kind of minimally, uh, sorry, less quickly or maybe minimally. Um, so this interestingly, like that hasn't super mapped to my experience, right? I, so it's possible that I was just like much quicker when I was younger and I've just forgotten. Um, that's possible, but I don't feel like that's really the the problem for me. I think it really is just like being able to remember stuff, which seems more like crystallized intelligence. And now that interesting, yeah, now that I'm saying it, I feel like, Oh God, is there something like wrong with my brain? <laughs> like maybe this is not normal. I mean, just today, somebody sent me an email saying like a year and a half ago, you handled the, like these awards for this conference, blah, blah, blah. Like, can, can you like give me some, um, some information about that? Uh, so that I can like update it for this year. This is for sips. And I was like, did I do that? Like, that doesn't sound like something I would have done. And then I went through my emails and I like did a lot. Like this was like something where I had to like send a lot of individual emails and like we had like kept up a spreadsheet and like I had to respond to the specific people and stuff like that. So I spent a lot of time on it. Um, and yeah, that was just, that was gone from my memory. Okay. Well, that's relieves me a lot to hear. Um, to be honest. So maybe I'm not like uh, outside of the norm bad at remembering stuff. I wonder if there's something about like being a more chill person that means that you're less likely to remember stuff that happened to you because you're just floating around. You're like, yeah, things are good, right? You're not paying that much attention. You're not worrying about it that much. And then it's like, as soon as it's happened, it's over. You've forgotten it. Yeah. I mean, I like the description of chill person because I think this describes me, but I also think that it sounds like a stupid person. <laughs> <laughs> You're just an oblivious doofus. You're like, whatever. It's cool. Like, guys. I don't encode information. You know? Right, right, Who right. Who needs right, that right. stuff? Right. I guess the 
the other thing that we haven't touched on is just like skill stuff. So for example, I saw a Twitter thread, I think earlier today or yesterday about people basically apologizing for still using SPSS. And it was like this like support group almost where it was like, yeah, I do that too. I I mean to learn R, but it's hard. <laughs> so like, is there, are, are there domains in which you feel like the field has moved on to new technologies. <laughs> um, not that I have any pre-existing knowledge of this at all. So I feel like this is a particularly humbling moment because it's like, not only would I fall into that group, but I'm not even technologically advanced enough to use Twitter to see that this support group Oh exists. man, these people are like at a level <laughs> above you, right? Yeah, so definitely. I mean, I feel like very out of touch when it comes to like... Um, the skills that are like totally standard in grad students now and are expected of people, um, particularly when it comes to like stats and coding and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess this comes back to what we talked about in the last episode is one really successful way to deal with that is just to like let your grad students worry about it, mm -hmm. right? Like it's not your job anymore to stay up to date on uh, programming or, you know, the latest developments in R, you're just like, well, my students, that's their job. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, I don't feel confident saying like, that's not my job. Um, it might be my job, but I don't do it. <laughs> you, your job is to dispense wisdom and to, to be a role model, to inspire them and they get their heads dirty with the details. Okay. That sounds good. That works for me. Another area that I think that I've gotten better professionally is is teaching. And I think that I can actually like, I mean, in some ways you can track your progress on these things, right? You can like see the feedback, the kind of feedback that you get and th stuff like that. Um, and I think teaching for some people is like, like not really what they ever got into this business for. And so it can feel easy to like get drained. But, but for me, I've become like more interested in it. And so I feel like more motivated to... I think that I work harder now as a teacher than I did initially, which would sort of like, I mean, seems to suggest that I'm becoming like not becoming more efficient, but I think it's just because I feel um, more like motivated and interested in it and stuff like that. Yeah. That's so funny that when I was thinking about professional skills, I hadn't even considered teaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like that is something that I've gotten a bit better at as well, at least a I don't know. Again, it's just like you have more practice, right? And like generally, all else equal, practice is going to improve you. And it sounds like in your case, you've really also been making an effort to work on it, like in a more kind of deliberate way. Which it sounds like is like you for like analysis and stats and stuff, right? Like I think when you like uh, what what ends up like killing you and making you um, out of touch with stuff is when you're like you're not like motivated to like learn the new stuff. So any other professional things that we want to talk about um, improving or disimproving, <laughs> declining? I have one question for you. Like, so this is like a specific question about like a milestone. So tenure. So do you think that like some people talk about um, tenure as a moment when they can like say what they really think, you know, did you have like that transition where you felt like more, free to to like voice your true opinion about things or or was that like not there was there no shift associated with tenure for you i feel like there wasn't um like i didn't feel pre-tenure that i was 
suppressing a bunch of opinions that I would have liked to share. And I didn't feel like post tenure, like I was completely free to say whatever I wanted, no matter how much that might upset people. I think, well, I mean, partly this has to do with like my specific circumstances here at University of Toronto, where, you know, the, the tenure process is so, um, rule bound and it, it, that sounds negative, but it's, I think it's actually a good thing. You know, we have like a strong faculty association and there's a, like a collective agreement that sets out the procedure for tenure. And so they really like, it, it's not like this thing where like, Oh, you pissed off so-and-so they're going to tank you. You know, it doesn't really work that way here. I guess in general, if you're like the field decides that you suck, then you're going to have a tough time getting outside letters. So like, there's a little bit of a concern of like being liked, but, but I think it's less, true here that you really have to worry about am I going to say something that some specific individual is going to dislike and is that really going to hurt me when I'm going up um and then also the second part is that I think people really underestimate the social pressures so I think there's lots of people who have tenure who just like don't say stuff that they believe because they don't want people to think differently about them. And I think that's a really strong motivator that people like underappreciate. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to get fired, but my friends aren't going to hang out with me anymore. Or these like strangers are going to dislike me and that's bad. Yeah. I mean, I have the exact same um, impression. Like I think that um, when there's this like obvious threat looming over your head, like, Oh, you could not get tenure or something. I think it seems like that is, the force that's like dictating times when you might not say what you mean. Um, it's sort of similar to like the feeling that we don't like commit crimes because we worry that we would be put in jail or something like that. And I actually think the much, the much more prominent reason that we like, don't say what we mean in faculty meetings or don't commit crimes is like social pressure. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't have that like line either where it was like, oh, now that I have tenure, I can like say what I mean. Um, but I do think that over time in my job, just feeling like I sort of like have more expertise or something like that or experience in my like specific role, um, I've become like more opinionated. Like I'm more opinionated in faculty meetings and things like that. Like you're willing to say things that you might not have been willing to say pre-tenure. I don't think the tenure line mattered so much. I think just like over time that's gotten... I've gotten more vocal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think whether, whether I have or not, like, I almost feel like in some ways I've gone in the opposite direction of, I, I learned through occasionally saying things like, for example, on this podcast, that then the person who's like, let's say paper, I had said something mildly unflattering about, like got in touch and generally very nicely was like, oh, well, I beg to differ about so and so. And I'm like, oh, actually, like, this is a thing that people listen to. Like, I feel a little bit more like I'm coming to terms with the fact that like, uh, what I say is going to be heard by more than my like circle of friends. And I know that sounds ridiculous, because like, obviously, like, I know that I have a podcast. I know that like I give talks or write papers that I expect other people to read, but somehow like, I don't know, in my head, it was still like, I felt like the grad student who, where you have that sort of like invisibility cloak almost. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody gives a shit what you think. And so you can kind of like say whatever you want. Right. I totally think that's like, I think that happens. It's really easy to have that happen where you sort of like end up 
like developing more of like a more power and more of a voice and more of a platform but you're like still in the mindset of like your younger self where you're like oh nobody nobody cares what I say or nobody listens to what I say yeah yeah exactly and it gives you a freedom to like you know express yourself I guess is a nice way of putting it but kind of be a dick in a way also like say something disparaging about somebody or you know some body of work or something and be like oh well nobody's gonna listen or care anyway so I could just sort of spout off yeah and I'm like yeah maybe I should right 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 yeah yeah Look at you, you're becoming more mature. <laughs> less of a dick. Uh, yeah, less of a dick, gradually, very gradually. Um, so I guess the last thing, and then maybe we take a, a quick break, is intrapersonally. So here, like, you know, the stylized fact, I think, is that people get happier as they get older, right? Um, and particularly, I think in late middle age, there's supposed to be this big, like, happiness boost that uh, possibly corresponds to people's children leaving the house. Now, of course, like I don't have kids, but in general, you know, the idea is, is supposed to be that as you get older, you get happier. And I don't know. I'm not, I'm not quite sure that that's true for me. Yeah, I have like very like contradictory intuitions about that. So my immediate reaction to that is like, so I'm like um, eager to get older, I guess. Like I like... Um, I think that I like my, this age more than I've liked previous ages for the most part. Um, and I think that like a big part of that is like, um, feeling more comfortable with myself or more secure or something like that. Um, and so that feels really like pleasant and like it contributes to my well being. I'm like less like phased by, I think what other people think and like, yeah, sort of more confident or something like that. Um, so that is like a positive trajectory in terms of my like, yeah, just like well-being or happiness. Um, I also have the experience of, um, I think, becoming like more emotional over time. So like, I feel like when I was like younger, I was pretty like unfazed by things. And now I feel more faced by things. And there's like the positive version of that is like, I don't know, I'm more like in touch with my emotions or more aware of them. And then like, I think the negative version is like, I'm possibly in some ways like more neurotic, although that sort of like seems to contradict uh, the first thing that I said. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you, What's your experience? Yeah. So I think there's a possible resolution there that has to do with whose opinion you value. Like, I do think that like you, I've become like less sensitive to what does random person think or the idea of like, Oh, well, you know, if so-and-so doesn't like, uh, whatever, like something that I said or, uh, something that I wrote, that's okay. That's just going to happen. And you can't please everybody at the same time. I think like being less of a dick entails caring more about what people close to you think. And I think I worry more now than I used to about like having hurt people's feelings or offended them. And I think that's like a way in which, maybe becoming like a person who's better to be around is less pleasant for you personally, because you have to worry more. And there's like a kind of a upside to obliviousness where you're like, Oh, whatever. Everything's fine. I don't have to worry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I also have this like increasing sense of like the things that matter, matter a lot. So like, I guess it's like a prioritizing of like the things that are important. Um, and yeah, those things, I like take those things much more seriously. So like going along with the sort of like 
being maybe more emotional or something. It's like, I also think that um, in some ways I become a more serious person um, in that like the things, yeah, the things that are important to me seem like, um, like very sacred or something like that. I'm getting older. I've got more on my shoulders, but I'm getting better at admitting when I'm wrong. I'm happier than ever. At least that's my endeavor to keep myself together and prioritize my pleasure. Cause to be honest, I just wish that what I promise would depend on what I'm giving. This is the part of the show where I tell you how to contact us. So we're on Twitter. Well, I am. Mickey is. Alexa is mostly not. Uh, but at Four Beers Pod is the show's Twitter account. You can at mention us. You can DM us. Uh, that will at least go to me and Mickey and possibly also to Alexa. If there's anything that really requires our attention that comes across there, we will. I will forward it to her. If you would rather email, fourbeerspod at gmail.com is the show's email address. That goes to the three of us. Finally, our website, fourbeers.com. You can find our current and past episodes there. You can drop us a line there as well. We've been getting some interesting responses to the self-care episode. Um, so some people on Twitter uh, shared some reactions and thoughts on self-care. We also got a couple long, thoughtful emails from a listener, uh, Roll Stark. I uh, believe he invited us to butcher his name. I'm doing my best with it, but it's it's Dutch, so that's difficult. Um, who had like a number of really interesting points, but the the one that I thought kind of was the most thought provoking um, was that you know we had talked about sort of feeling in titled or not to like say, well, I, I need some self-care time. And he, he thought that was like ridiculous. He was like, you Americans want to make everything into a competition, even whose life is the worst, which, which I thought was pretty great. Um, but yeah, it, it made me think about this interesting, almost paradox of to the person the very different things could feel equally bad depending on your circumstances. So if you live a quite privileged and comfortable life, a minor inconvenience, um, say the nanny calls in sick and you have to watch the kids yourself could feel pretty bad as bad as a much objectively, much worse experience as somebody in worse circumstances. And it's kind of, it, it feels funny to say, well, those, those two 
circumstances should be treated equivalently. Like from a third party perspective, you want to say, well, the person who's worse off should get more sympathy. But from the person's internal experience, you could say maybe they have literally the same amount of internal stress and upset as a reaction to these events, the person who's quite privileged and the person who isn't. Um, and I think that we in the episode took more of the position of you, you ought to take the third party perspective and say, no, objectively, like these circumstances are worse than those. But there's an argument to be made that, well, you know, to the person, it feels just as bad, right? And so maybe that's what should be determining our judgment about the appropriateness of um, upset and perhaps the need for feeling better. Alexa, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, so I I think so the email in the email, he mentioned this like uh, problem of sort of like falling into this idea of like the suffering Olympics or whatever, like my suffering was worse than yours or or uh, the the sort of like um, pitfalls of trying to like compare levels of suffering. And, um, there's a version of that, that I see as, um, I sort of like, I, I get his point that it's sort of the, like, um, there are like children starving in Africa, you know, argument. So like whatever's happening in some other situation doesn't matter. Um, and I'm sympathetic to this idea that there's like, Except for one person's experience, there's always somebody who is suffering more on an objective scale. And so it doesn't make sense to dismiss all other suffering because other suffering because one person's suffering is worse. Um, but even the sort of like uh, argument that um, two people could have suffering that in, based on some objective metric are different, um, but that their their subjective experiences is, is the same. Um, I my my intuition is still that it makes sense to, um, yeah, like you said, pay attention to the third, third party perspective. Like, I don't think the subjective experience is the only thing that matters. And I think that individuals have a personal responsibility to at least make some effort to calibrate their subjective experience to their objective circumstances. Um, I, I mean, I see that as, integral to any like sort of attempt to recognize like power or privilege um if we just sort of like go based on our like emotional reactions to things and don't try to like calibrate those to our circumstances and like the circumstances of others um i think i just think it's easy to just become a brat you know yeah i think you you end up in some like kind of weird situations if you say, well, the subjective experience is all that matters, right? So like somebody who sincerely feels subjectively terrible pain and upset at things that by consensus we would say are pretty innocuous, do we want to say their, you know, their feeling of that pain and upset is just as justified as somebody who is experiencing actually, you know, difficult or unpleasant circumstances? I mean, it, it feels like you don't want to do that um, because you're then you're sort of at the mercy of people who have kind of idiosyncratic and weird reactions, right? And you just have to kind of like take their their internal state as like a a given and you don't get to question it yeah but i do think that like so um Royal also mentioned this sort of like maybe something like implicit capitalistic view that like might in, like infect our perspective or something like that and i do think that when you when you talk about how like we should be like 
what I mentioned, for example, calibrating our sort of um, subjective experience to the objective uh, circumstances. I mean, he also made a point about how, you know, you could like some of the things that we were talking about as self-care might actually be more aptly categorized as coping. So he he said things like Netflix or watching porn or whatever, like that's not really what self-care is. Self-care is, you know, like um, actually just sort of like preserving yourself and making sure that you're healthy and happy. And so I think one might argue, uh, especially like if you take a more like socialist perspective, which I'm happy to do, um, then like you would say, okay, everybody's entitled to a minimum amount of self-care regardless of your circumstances. You don't need to prove your suffering to earn basic self-care, um, which I think is a fair point. Hmm. You know, this reminds me that I had lunch with Paul Bloom earlier and he brought up having listened to our self-care episode. He was like, you know, I always assumed that was just a euphemism for masturbation, <laughs> which puts the whole thing in a, in a very different light. I mean, in that case, I definitely feel like everybody is entitled to a minimum reg- amount regardless of their suffering. Exactly. <laughs> Governmental policy entitles you to some amount of self-care daily. Um, well, anyway, uh, thanks, Roel, for uh, emailing. Uh, we appreciate hearing from listeners, uh, whether it's on Twitter or over email or um, any other way you want to get in touch, uh, feel free to do that. Okay. Um Anything else that we need to talk about before? Oh, right. Uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice if you're enjoying the show. It helps other people discover us. Thank you very much. Okay. So uh, we wanted to keep talking about getting old. Um, and we, we've we been talking about like what makes you feel your age, um, things that make you feel old. And I, I feel like, Alexa, I feel like you have like examples here that you want to share. Yeah. So, I mean, the most um, salient example right now is the fact that, so when you were doing the, like, this is how you can contact us stuff, I wanted to communicate to listeners that like, I am interested in, in corresponding with listeners, but I'm more <laughs> interested in doing so over email than over Twitter, which I think is one time that I feel my age a lot. It's like, I'm like, ah, Twitter feels like I have to respond right away and it feels so fast paced. And, you know, I like the idea of like sitting down and writing like a longer response and stuff like that. So I I am interested in hearing uh, what listeners think and responding to them, but I'm probably more uh, likely to do so um, in an email format. It seems like in general, you're like less likely to do the like living on your phone thing. I like to try to avoid that, I guess. And that... It's to some degree correlated with age, right? Like, I mean, I know plenty of people who are older than me who are constantly looking at their phones. So I don't think it's like a, as strong a correlation as some people might think. But I, I, I do think there is a correlation there. Are the people who are older than you who are always on their phones people you think of as youthful? Yeah. 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 Right. No, that's a good point. Uh-huh. That's a good point. Yeah. You know what I realized is that we never did beer talk. Yep, I realized that just yeah, now too. That's just like an old person to just completely forget <laughs> talking about beer. Um, why don't we do that? And you generously provided these for us. Do you want to tell what they are? Yeah, so again, Yoel and I are drinking the same thing. So we're both drinking uh, Shaxbury dry cider. Um, these uh, come from Vermont, um, which I think is somewhat famous for um, for ciders and particularly sort of like uh, dry, not like sort of these like more like 
introducing teens to drinking ciders. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the, the cider the for the, the cider for adults, <laughs> right? Basically. Right, adults. So the, the cider for old people, appropriately. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, I think that it's known for being dry and from Vermont. Yum. All right, let's crack them open. No added sugar. It says. I guess this is in keeping with your. It's not for the young people. Mm. I think that's really good. Yeah, I like them a lot. Yeah. It's also gluten-free, but I think that's true of all ciders. Uh, I mean, I'm not a cider expert, but I would think so. It's just fruit, right? You know, like, just gratuitously add some bread. <laughs> bread makes everything better. It's true. So it's definitely true just descriptively that older people are more conservative. Um, and I should know more about this research, but don't. Uh, it, the question is, you know, is that just a cohort effect? Uh, or is it that you actually do become more conservative as you age? So the same person at uh, 20 had more liberal views than the, the person at 60. Um, and I, I don't know how strong the evidence for that is, um, if, if there is any. Uh, but certainly it's true that, like, if you look at, you know, the kind of voting public and you're like, okay, how conservative is the median 60 year old versus the median 20 year old? The median 60 year old is quite a bit more conservative. Right. Um, and it could be that, you know, people just stay kind of where they're at. And then that, you know, the center of gravity politically shifts and on cultural issues, obviously we've shifted left. Um, so you could become relatively more conservative without actually changing yourself. Um, so you said that your dad had a theory about this and I'm very curious to hear it. Yeah. So, okay. So I guess I like, um, I knew the descriptive, um, finding that like older people, like right now, if you do a cross-sectional study that older people are going to be more conservative or express more conservative values. And when I say conservative, I'm talking about like probably mostly an American perspective on that, like uh, positions on political issues. But I think that like translates reasonably well to Canada um, and maybe sort of a general like right versus left um, continuum. Uh, and so my uh, my interpretation of this was that it is a longitudinal effect. So like this is like people are getting more conservative as they get older. Um, and I mentioned that sort of casually to my dad and he was like, basically his interpretation was that this is definitely a cohort effect and not a longitudinal effect. And his hypothesis was that actually the longitudinal effect would be, um, the opposite. Um, so he was like, yeah, sure. Older people might be more conservative, but that's just like a generational thing. And he was like, for me personally, I've become more liberal I've shifted left in my politics, which I think is certainly true from my observation of, you know, observing my like dad's views on political issues and my mom as well. Um, and his hypothesis was that actually like overall, this shift would be true of most people. Um, so the the shift as people age would generally be that people become more liberal. And his proposed mechanism is that people become more informed and therefore more accurate over time. Um, and thus arrive cl more close, more closely at the right answer um, as they become more liberal. Uh -huh. 
Um, yeah, well, that's certainly a mechanism that flatters us and probably most of our listeners. So that's nice. Um, I, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising. And if I think about like kind of the, the older people in my life, I think this is true as well. It wouldn't be surprising if as the culture kind of shifts left, it pulls people with them. Right. So like my parents' generation, when they were young, uh, being gay was just a perversion. And now we're like, that's a totally acceptable way to be and gay people are a hundred percent great. And, you know, there, I, I would say, you know, people of my parents' generation are maybe just a little more kind of intuitively like just weirded out by the idea of being gay because they just like have known fewer people who are, but like my parents are like, you know, on the like pro gay marriage train. And I, I, I'm sure that if you asked them when they were 20, they'd be like, what? Like, it probably wouldn't even compute. It would be like, you know, like I should be allowed to marry my dog or something. Right. It wasn't even on the table. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that for those sorts of like cultural issues, yeah, absolutely. Like I, it makes a lot of sense to me that older people would have been kind of pulled towards the more liberal end. Yeah. Right. Like that, that seems to be uh, like a general trend and that that like maps on, I think, very well to what my dad is like sort of proposing is happening is that like um, people have these like weird hangups and that like as they become sort of like they have like more experience, they like in this example, like they meet more gay people or no more gay people. They're like, oh, this isn't so bad. Like, <laughs> right. Right. They become culturally enlightened. I mean, I guess the the counter would be, well, when you're young, you have all these pie in the sky ideas about how the government ought to fix a bunch of things. And, you know, you're sort of utopian in your thinking. And as you become older, you become more realistic about how people are and the limits of what's possible. And that sort of inherently tends to make you more conservative and more averse to um, sweeping social change. Uh social engineering, particularly on the part of like policymakers and so on. You're like, Oh, that stuff like actually never works out. Yeah. I was trying to think of like why, um, my, like my initial intuition was that this was like happening over time. And I think one, one mechanism that I was picturing was what you're describing where, yeah, perhaps you, you get sort of like more realistic and, um, and you become less idealistic. And so that pushes you to becoming like more conservative. But then also like, I guess there's a difference between the sort of like thinking of like small C conservative and big C conservative. So small C conservative being sort of like being risk averse and more likely to sort of like favor, um, favor keeping things the same versus changing them. And then big C conservative being, sort of like more politically aligned, but I do think there's some overlap between these things. And so it's easy for me to imagine that as people get older, they like feel like the way that we've been doing things makes sense because that's like what they have been doing. Um, and so there's like more resistance to, I guess, like new ways of doing things um, and sort of like a questioning of people who want to sort of overhaul the system or something like that. So I think that was like my intuition about why like people might become more conservative as they get older. But I mean, it, it hasn't been my experience. And also, yeah, I've like observed other people like my parents who seem to have gone um, in the opposite direction. So, so yeah, I mean. So is there any 
way in which you've become more conservative, either like on an absolute level or, or, or just relatively compared to, you know, where the political center of gravity is in the U.S.? Good question. I mean, I've definitely become less conservative over time politically. Um, and so if I try to like think of like an example of a way that I've become, I th- I think there is a way in which like maybe as like a younger person, I would have, I would have thought like, okay, if we think that, you know, a system is inherently flawed, we should just tear it down. Um, and I think now I am more like skeptical of tear it down solutions. Um, which is not to say that I like, I, I often, I think that it's very useful to think about problems in systemic ways. Um, but I also think that it's very easy to tear something down and then try to rebuild it and just like do exactly like building exactly the same problems. And I think I've seen that kind of like on a small scale in my like own efforts to change things. So like even sort of like within my department, for instance, um, we've been talking about ways to like, I guess like develop a stronger like relationship of trust between graduate students and faculty. Um, A lot of this sort of stuff centers around like DEI issues. So like um, making the department a more like inviting environment for students of color and things like that. And one of the ways that we talked about doing that was um, basically like providing a mechanism for graduate students to um, provide like anonymous feedback about faculty And we talked about this as a department over the past year many, many times. And like, I don't know what the results of the system are. We have something sort of like approximating that idea in place now. Um, But, but I was very in favor of having the system. And there were people who I really like admire and respect who had like legitimate concerns and they were like, okay, imagine this scenario or this scenario. And I was like, Oh, I hadn't thought about that. And so I think you can just like go into um, like creating some kind of like policy or, um, or system and having like good intentions and just totally like messing it up. Um, so I guess like I'm potentially more pro incremental change, which I think is conservative. Yeah. That sounds like getting more conservative to me. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is a, that story you just told is a great example of how I feel like not that I've gotten more conservative, but that I've relatively gotten more conservative because my like intuitive reaction is like, you want to set up an anonymous snitch line. That sounds terrible. And then it's like for lots of people who I like and respect, it's like, that seems completely reasonable. And sometimes I'm a little bit like, what? Like, are you fucking with me? Because yeah. So I guess this is like, actually I feel is very stereotypical and, and really does break down along generational lines is that there's kind of an older generation of people who like think of themselves as, um, as liberal have probably like identified with and voted democratic all their lives and are like, uh, some of this new stuff freaks me out. Yeah. And I, I will put it myself in that box. And I guess we have sort of like relatively like because we've kicked out all the actual conservatives in academia. Now, like we are like if you line people up, you know, from like most to least left, like we're more on the right side. Right. Like just by virtue of like 
um, the center shifting over time. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, but I don't know. Like, so, so do you worry that you like you're like me with band names when it comes to like new liberal values that you're like uh, rejecting those sort of like unfamiliar and. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that at its worst, it gets to be a sort of reflexive dismissal of anything that sounds like new or weird. And it's hard to know where to draw that line or, you know, how to think about this in a principled way. Um, and like, I think that in order to do that, you have to kind of make a case for the values that you do believe in rather than saying, I don't like this shitty thing that like you guys want to do. Right. Or, or rather than just complaining about like, Oh, this like new bad stuff that people want to do, you have to make the case for, well, what are the values that you support that you, that you want to uphold and so like if you're talking about like anonymous snitch lines in general i would say like that it can violate due process like if that feedback is going to be used in some way maybe it's going to be used to get the faculty member to change the behavior or sanction them then there's kind of a core part of due process that says you get to face your accuser if somebody says you did something bad you get to rebut that and know who said it and you don't get to uh punish people on the basis of completely anonymous allegations it's just unfair to the people the person who's maybe being punished right and so like i feel like that like that kind of like due process argument that's a very now i feel like in some like left circles kind of old school concern and is seen as just throwing up procedural kind of barriers to to justice and sticking up for abusers on the basis of technicalities. But to me, that's super important. And I feel comfortable making an affirmative case for that, right? Not just saying like, oh, snitching sucks, but saying we have certain procedural safeguards for people who are accused of things. We have those for a reason. They're important. We ought not to just throw them out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think like, so I think the like being cautious of becoming like a person who is quick to dismiss um, anything new. I think there's like the the flip side of that, which is like being cautious not to become a person who like um, just like immediately dismisses anything that's old. Right. Or anything that's preexisting. And that and and so that's like I think what um when I say like maybe there's a way that it, it, there's an example of my views becoming more conservative, it's that um, n- not wanting to fall into the trap of just like dismissing things because they've been around for a long time or because they're pre-existing or they're like an established system or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this this sounds sort of like a a boring take on this, but it just feels like, as you said, um, you sort of have to break down like, okay, what, what are the like values that are being represented by the position that I'm forwarding and does the like policy that I'm suggesting or the system that I'm proposing align with those values and will it accomplish them? Um, 
And I think it's like, yeah, I just think that it's pretty easy to fall into this trap of saying, okay, the old system is trash and we need to tear it down. But also of saying like, basically just like anything new, just rejecting it and like coming up with some kind of sort of um, catastrophic scenario that's actually probably pretty unlikely or coming up with some criticism and dismissing the idea outright without sort of like considering how you might um, resolve that criticism and still maintain whatever the new system is trying to accomplish. Great. Great. I agree with that. And I'm glad that we, <laughs> we resolved this. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot more to be said about uh, feeling like how the political culture shifts around you, which is a super like interesting phenomenon just subjectively for me, because like at first I didn't, like I would say over the last five years, I felt this kind of like feeling a little bit out of sync with people who or institutions or like kind of environments where before I had felt like perfectly comfortable and not really having the language for that at first for being like, well, what are the, like, how do I think differently from some of these other folks? And like, what, what is the, the shift that's happening because I felt like something was happening, but it was also like, this is weird. Like, you know, I just felt so like identified with that kind of group politically that did suddenly feel out of sync with it was like very weird. And I think that's become more clear now, like that dynamic and like a kind of generational divide as far as like how you weight these different values. Um, and I think that we could get into that more, but that would like take us way off topic. So maybe that's like for another day. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, again, I think that's like, that's why I had this intuition about people becoming more conservative as they get older is that like, you're faced with this sort of like, like challenge as somebody who's like grown up in a particular cultural context, and then things start to change, where I think in order to sort of change with the culture, you need to be willing to like sort of question and reject some of the stuff that you accepted as you were growing up. And it's just like really hard to know when, when you're deceiving yourself, you know, like in either direction, right? You can be deceiving yourself by thinking like, oh, I'm like, this new stuff is legitimately worse than the old stuff. And that's why I'm rejecting it. Um, and, and, actually be rejecting it because it's unfamiliar and you haven't given it a chance but i also think you can do um the opposite where you're sort of so like uh preoccupied with like i don't know maintaining your political alignment or like keeping up with um with the way things are changing that you sort of like uncritically accept whatever like new thing is proposed um and yeah i just find it a, like an arena in which it's really hard to know when you're deceiving yourself yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely like for people who are in like left, like majority left leaning circles, like definitely, you know, higher ed is one of those. Um, I think the kind of dramatic shifts that have happened in, in people's opinions on some political topics can be like hard to 
see and then you kind of look back and you're like you read some of like obama's speeches from 2008 and you're like these sound like republican talking points he's talking about securing the borders and telling black people to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps like you know who is this tucker carlson you're like fuck man like things really have changed dramatically and like i kind of feel like that honestly like overwhelms any kind of individual effect of getting older that you're just part of a group and the kind of group center of gravity really is shifted and you get pulled along with it like i feel like i see that a lot um and i suppose that's sort of to your dad's point um although i don't know if i would agree that it's based necessarily on more knowledge or better information or anything like that but that like you know your group norm shift and you kind of go along with it yeah, right. Anything else about our, like, you know, lost youth that we want to talk about? Um, I have one more question, which is, like, do you feel less impressed with sunsets now as a 43-year-old than you did when you were younger? No. I feel like, if anything, I like nature and stuff, I appreciate more now than I used to. I feel like I've gotten more into the outdoors as I've gotten older. What about you? I have like, I'm pretty determined to like, um, at least maintain my appreciation of, of sunsets. 